This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. I'm Arjun Sen, and this edition of Secrets to Win Big, you'll hear from an amazing story enabler. Winning is fun, but winning big will put you on the path for long-term sustained success. As a podcast, when you will hear from leaders around the world, you'll see that each one comes from different walks of life, they have different secrets, so it's for you to find and mix and match what you need. Now, the big thing relevant about our speaker and our my VIP guest today is that in a world where the scream and tell does not work, brands really must redirect and tell stories that connect. And the stories, as the guest put in perspective for me, must connect to the core of the brand message. My VIP guest is Keith Bailey, a charismatic professional public speaking coach who helped business professionals create personal tell-ready stories. And that's something I want to know more about what is a tell-ready story and that best delivers his brand. During his last recession, he guided an apparel company from 3 million to 15 million in four years during that last recession. It's really a pleasure to welcome you, Keith. Welcome, buddy. Thanks, Arjun. I really appreciate this opportunity to, uh, to connect with you on this platform. Thank you. So Keith, even though I'm intrigued by the storytelling, which I want to spend a lot of time with, you know, I can't, you know, none of us can ignore the fact, the challenge we are in. So I really want to go to that recession area. And I really want to understand is that accomplishment or taking that brand to that kind of a record growth. So what was your secret? to get that transformation done and that success? The secret to that transformation actually came from some of the most simple words that were imparted upon me by the owner of the, of the business. His name is uh, Dave Edwards. And the reason I got this job, and it was just an entry-level sales job, it was my first desk job ever, is because the downturn in the economy wiped out a business that I had. I had a personal training business. And I couldn't get new clients. And I saw this opportunity for a cycling apparel company that was hiring inside salespeople. And I was like, I love biking. Mm-hmm. This is a great fit. So I reached out to them. And I remember it was my, my second week of, of smile and dial, which really, truly does work. But I hadn't had a single sale. Mm-hmm. I still was very optimistic that it's, I know it's a numbers game. This thing's going to happen. And it was the end of the day. And I'm I'm sitting and I've completed my list of calls and Dave comes by and he's like, so, so how is it going? I was like, well, uh, making lots of calls and uh, you know, I haven't sold anything, but it, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about my approach and then he imparted these words on me and they are, I, I utilize them to this day. He's like, the next call that you make, Keith, sell them nothing. Don't launch into who you are, where you're from, and what you're there to sell them. Because my job was to call on bike shops, was to sell to bike shops specifically. So I took those words to heart. And the next day I called up and 
Uh, it didn't matter who answered the phone. It was the other part of it. It doesn't matter who answers, just strike up a conversation. You are both in the same industry, so just strike up a conversation. And what I found out was that the person who answered the phone, we would just engage in conversation. We would talk about biking and the bike ride that I had that morning and what's going on in their shop and what are the specials they've got going on, what are they doing for the season. What, you know, we just started just building a rapport and the use of the CRM, I put all this information in there. And what would end up happening is eventually it would come all the way full circle to where the person would ask me, saying, who are you and why are you calling me? Like, oh, oh, that, that thing. I, I work for an apparel company. We do custom apparel if you guys are interested. And the results were profound wow. is people remembered me. People were more likely because the, the level of trust was there. They were more likely to introduce me to the person who I should be speaking with. And what ended up happening is it, it changed how it is that I engaged in a, uh, uh, in a sales platform as opposed to just cutting to the chase. I just had conversations and sometimes people are like, Hey, I don't have time to talk right now. Can you call back some other time? Like you got it, Steve, I'll call you right back. And then you put those little notes in the CRM. So the next time you call back, like, hey, Steve, uh, how, was, how was Johnny's baseball game? Like, do you remember this? I know what my CRM does. So the secret to selling is sell nothing and be who you are and engage in a conversation. Simply brilliant. Yeah, sure, so in today's world, if you take that, sorry, you know, just to, uh, if you take that and today's world, what would be one or two simple advice you would give all of us who are struggling in today's world? Yeah, it's, it's something that I've, I've, I've struggled during this time as well. The, the first two weeks where everything shut down, I, 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 I was lost. I was confused. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. And I've, I've known for a long time that if you are struggling internally with, with, with your own personal demons, the best thing you can do is to reach out to somebody else and not necessarily on a professional setting, perhaps on a personal setting and ask them, what can I do to help you? Because what that does is it shows that you care, but it also gives you purpose. And when the other person is like, you know, I just need to have somebody that I can talk to uh, at six o'clock at night because I'm home alone and I just, just need a conversation. And for me, that has been really transformative. And I started this whole program where I reach out to people on a regular basis, asking them if they'd like to play a game because everybody loves games. Mm -hmm. So to, to engage with, with friends, family, former people you've worked with, anybody, and just ask them, what can I do to help you? And that is a, an altruistic mindset. Mm -hmm. And the altruistic mindset is, is something that was instilled in me when I went through boot camp, when I went, when I joined the Marine Corps. And oh. the altruistic mindset really sets the stage for, uh, the force multiplier because it's not about you mm -hmm. it's about all of us we're all mm -hmm. listening together there's a great ad that i saw or a great picture that i saw when i was uh, uh a couple years back and it's got a bunch of people in a boat the boat is, is tipped on on its backside and the guys that are sitting on the top are looking down at the guys at the bottom of the boat that there's a hole and they're <laughs> bailing the boat out and the guys mm -hmm. at the top of the boat says oh man it sure sucks to be them mm -hmm. well i like us that we're, we're all in the same boat mm -hmm. Right? So if we approach things with an altruistic mindset and look at what can I do to help you? And if we're all looking to do, to see what we can do for each other, mm -hmm. I'm just going to come back around again. And many people will be thinking about what can they do for, for Arjun or what can they do for Keith? You know, that's brilliant because that transitions because the way you painted those pic that picture of the boat 
with your words i can see it and i can even laugh like the way you delivered that line that i would rather not be on that side of the board i get it like so what got you excited like i just want to look at you know at an early age at what time you know at when was you when did you just start getting excited about storytelling I'd have to say my mother has been the one that's gotten me excited about storytelling and probably the one that taught me the, the, the foundational elements of storytelling. My mother has the mind of an elephant mm -hmm. and she has the storytelling ability of uh, Spielberg mm -hmm. because she just has a natural ability to, to, to create suspense and to be able to, to craft that story and then to, the, to give the big reveal and to communicate the, the meaning, the message of it. And the thing to understand about my mother is uh, I'm, I'm originally from Holland. So my mm -hmm. mother is, was, was raised there. So she has a really thick Dutch accent. And for her coming to the United States back in 1980, she spoke no English whatsoever. I didn't either. But at eight years old, your, your mind's a sponge. You, you learn. But my mother had to learn a whole other language. And the way that she ended up learning that was we both would watch Sesame Street a lot, which is also mm -hmm. a lot of storytelling. And uh, she's taken upon herself to connect with people and mm -hmm. really step out of her own comfort zone and way that she connects is through mm -hmm. stories. And for me, that has really been a huge, like whenever I, my parents and I get together, it's always stories. Mm -hmm. Everything is teed up in the form of a story that makes it so much more memorable and it makes the conversation so much more fun. So my, my mom is, uh, is a huge inspiration for him. My father as well. Like his mm -hmm. his experiences and his stories are really impactful. And I have I have a belief, Arjun. I believe that we can live forever. Mm -hmm. The way that we live forever is so long as our story is being told. Mm -hmm. Things of that we did, the things that we experienced. As long as those stories keep being told, we will live on forever. It's once that dies out, then you will forever be forgotten. So, and you know, that's such an amazing connection you made because my grandma used to sing this folk song in Bengali in India, which talked about if you write your name on a rock, over time it will erode. If you write it on a paper, it won't last. But if you write your story in a heart, that will oh. stay forever. And you just connected me, took me right there. And which means I have to ask you, What's one of your favorite stories from your mom of all times that you cherish and would be, you know, would love to hear that? One of my favorite stories of anyone. My mom. Yeah. Oh, you've put me on, on the on the on the spot here. Any story, any story. Yeah, it, it's it's. I'll I'll take the first one that uh, that, mm -hmm. that pops into my mind is really it's 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 the encouragement. And mm -hmm. the, the nurturing nature of my mother and always having time and caring to sit down and, mm -hmm. and listen. Mm -hmm. and that's probably the, the strongest attribute of, of a really good person is their ability to listen. And I remember uh, I was about five, five years old and I had wrapped up gym class. And while in the back changing shoes, I had been fumbling with my shoelaces for, you know, for so long, trying to tie my shoes. And I, and I was never able to tie them. And then on this one occasion, I was able to tie my left shoe. And I wasn't quite sure what I did. Mm -hmm. And then I went to, to the right shoe. And I sat and fumbled with it. And I tied that shoe as well. And as soon as both those shoes were tied, I raced 
home. I ran, it was about, about a half mile from the, the gym to my parents' house. Uh, this is back in Holland. And I ran home with the excitement of, of having tied my shoes. And wow. I remember like running in and telling my mom and she just stops everything. She drops the one knee and is there for me in that moment as I, as I celebrate. She celebrates with me, you know, there's this tiny accomplishment. And this, this, this thought comes back to me from time to time because I've got nephews and nieces mm-hmm. and you see them walk around with their shoelaces untied. I'm like, when, when is this going to happen for them? And are they going to have that same reaction of excitement of having accomplished something that you've worked on for so long something just simple as what we consider now simple as tying your shoelaces mm-hmm. you know but what you taught me right there was it's not just about the story it's about the setup and creating that situation you talked about your mom that she always was there she always wanted to listen and it's like to me without that platform it's not that you just walk in and randomly start the story for her that whole situation created the connection to deliver the story. Mm-hmm. So what's your first story that you remember that Keith loved saying, like baby Keith, young Keith, what's one of the first stories you said that you know, resonates with you and one still of, you remember? One of the first stories that I said that still, uh, that still resonates. I'm gonna have to go to a it's actually the reflection mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of a time when I was in the fourth grade mm-hmm. and I had to give a, a book report and the book report was on a now very controversial Christopher Columbus. And mm-hmm. the teacher had said that the costumes were optional. My mother was a seamstress, a phenomenal seamstress. And when I moved to the United States, I got much ridicule because my mother made all of my own clothes mm-hmm. and she was always there to, to, to help support by, she would go to thrift stores mm-hmm. and uh, buy old clothes and then cut designer labels out of those clothes and sew them into the clothes that she made. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish now that I was as proud of what my mother did for us and, and the, the love and the care that she put into making our clothes. I wish I was as proud of it then as I am now. Because then you're in elementary school and it is one of the hardest places to be. It's interesting, you ask mm-hmm. people, like, would you go back to your childhood, back to elementary school and high school? And most people would say no, because it's such a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And in this occasion in fourth grade, when I delivered this, uh, this book report, I showed up in the most ridiculous costume and the entire class laughed at me, except for the teacher. The teacher was so proud of what I did that she took me by the hand to the third grade, to the fifth grade class. And in that moment, I learned that it is when you show up as your true authentic self, mm-hmm. the haters will hate, but those that believe in you will take you by the hand and lead you to greater places, but you have to show up as your authentic self. And for me, that was a seminal moment as well. Like for my love for the stage was born then because I, I got a reaction and mm-hmm. I got praise from that as well. So for me, that's one of the, the earliest memories that I have of a story that I'd love to reflect upon. You know, what I love about both these stories is these are everyday events all of us have gone through. Yeah. All of us struggled with our shoelaces, especially, you know, I know it was a big struggle. 
and we have dared to wear costumes which fell flat but for you to connect these everyday relatable moments and show the story behind the story i really think that's the genius of what you're doing and i really applaud that you're taking to the business world so to me on the business world what do you see the biggest challenge for a business professional mm -hmm. when you try to work with them to get them to tell the stories and also i want to know what is a tell ready story i love that phrase yeah thank, thanks arjun thanks arjun i i, I work with a uh, a brilliant marketer who's helped me pull these things together but the biggest barrier and i ask this question because i lead a lot of workshops where i help mm -hmm. people tap into that bottomless well of of personal experiences be able to pull forth their tell ready stories now i'll tell you more about that but the 80 percent of the time I get one of two answers when I ask them what's their barrier to public speaking and to telling stories. One, I have nothing interesting to say. Hmm. And two, nothing big has ever happened to me. There is so they a, have never tied their shoelaces? <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. Right. That's no, such agreed. a brilliant story. Yeah. Agreed. They've, they've, mm -hmm. they've never thought of it that way. They, they mm -hmm. think they have nothing interesting to say. There is a, there's a brilliant speaker and author by the name of Matthew Dix. And he wrote a book called Storyworthy. I recommend getting the book, reading the book, doing an audible, consume what it is that he says, because he is brilliant when it comes to storytelling. And one of the takeaways that, that I got from him that I share is what is most common is most universal. Mm -hmm. What is most common is most universal. The time that you survived a plane crash people cannot relate to that but the time mm -hmm. that you struggled tying your shoelaces they can so for us to share stories of what is common mm -hmm. people can connect with that right people know what it feels like to, to be lonely people know what it feels like to have worked really hard and to have failed and to be able to share those experiences in, in a simple story mm -hmm is how you can best connect with your audience. And one of the things that I focus on with business professionals in this creation of tell ready stories is we utilize trigger words. Because even during this podcast, the words that I have said with you, Arjun, when I mm -hmm. talk about tying shoes, you instantly have a reflection back into your own past where this has happened to you. Mm -hmm. And because you're doing that in real time, you're aligning with what I'm saying, which means that what Keith thinks and believes is what I think and I believe, therefore we have this in common, which means that the next thing that's about to come out of Keith's mouth, I'm going to also believe. Mm -hmm. So if I talk about the, the struggles that I had for so long on simply tying my shoes and then finally having this aha moment and sharing it with a mom and her being there supportive of me and asking me to show me again mm -hmm. and doing that, that is so simple but yet so powerful because everybody's able to relate to it. So that's- And also for me, what you also showed me was I was not the only person who could not tie your shoes. So again, I love that. Yeah. From there, you know, I was fascinated to hear about the work you have done with the breast cancer survivor and how you made an impact in her life. So, Amazing impact, very yeah. proud, and I'm really glad you shared 
So what was your biggest challenge in that particular project? You know, as you worked on that story, you know, what was? So the relationship with Jennifer was one that, that spanned the better part of 10 years. Uh, I, I had my training business. She first came in and then after about six months, she disappeared. Mm -hmm. Then came back again. I found out she'd had her first round of breast cancer and we started mm -hmm. working together, worked together for about a year. And then she disappeared again without saying anything. By this time, the downturn had happened uh, and my, my personal training business, I, I closed it up and I got a desk job. And then about almost a year later, she found me and she said, Keith, I have one goal in life. Mm -hmm. And that is to see both of my daughters graduate from high school. And I know that what I need to do is to change my entire life. And I believe that you are the one that can help me do that. And that's what started off the path. We set up a time where we met every Friday and for the next seven years, and not Friday, every Monday, uh, every Monday we would meet. I have a, a studio in my garage. That's what happened in my gym. I consolidated it and it turned into a, a journey that, that mm -hmm. we all went on. And another group of ladies came in. There was four, four ladies that showed up every Monday. And for me, the hard part was having a full-time job, being a, a global sales manager and, and having to disconnect from one world and reconnect into another world. And the biggest thing is to be present in the moment mm -hmm. without making it about me. I mm -hmm. could never show up and talk about how difficult my day was, how tired I am to be here or how stressful this is, or I'd rather be doing something else. And the, the thing to take away from this is as a business professional and as a coach or whatever it is you do, you need to check your emotional baggage at the door. Mm -hmm. It is not about you. Keep it about them. Keep the focus on somebody else because that is the only way that you can truly help. Uh, and I have a really quick story if I, if I could share about, uh, uh, about Jennifer is that her goals were her goals. They weren't my goals. Mm -hmm. And one of her goals that was given to her by her doctor was that she had to lose 50 pounds. And I've never mm -hmm. touted myself as a, as a weight loss trainer because I think it's a negative mindset to lose is negative. But she had this goal, she had to lose 50 pounds. And then she got to 49 pounds lost and 49 and a half and 49 and three fourths and then 49 and a half. And she teetered back and forth. And finally one Monday she comes walking in and she's beaming. She's very A-type personality. So Keith, I, I did it. I did. I, I lost 50 pounds and I'd had a card waiting for this moment. And I, I pulled it off the table and I gave it to Jennifer and she opened it up and $50 fell out. And mm -hmm. she said, Keith, I, I, I don't want your money. I was like, read the card. In the card I'd written, congratulations on achieving your goal. Mm -hmm. This $50 represents the fair market value of the weight that you've lost at a dollar a pound. I am buying it from you. <laughs> and you may never have it back. Wow. Please take this money and go purchase an outfit that fits the new you. Because she was wearing these baggy gym clothes. It just mm -hmm. didn't fit her anymore. And it was such a profound moment for, for, for both of us. Because mm -hmm. as a coach, we need to celebrate the wins of others. Mm -hmm. And we also need to make sure that the, the goals that people set are their goals. They're, they're mm -hmm. not your goals. You're there to help with accountability and to help them get there, but they need to be their own goals. For instance, in this case, that 50 pounds was not a personal training goal. 
Mm-hmm. That was a goal by her doctor. And when we work with our team members and with our, our partners, we can't set the goals for them, right? We, 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 it doesn't work that way. Because when we set the goal, then it's, it, we're vested in it. They're not vested in it. Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes forward, you need to ask your team members or your partner or whoever you're working with, what's your goal? Mm-hmm. And then hold them accountable to their goal as opposed to placing it upon them. So there are two things that hit me hard on the story. One is, the second thing I'll come first, because the first one's personal. The second one was, you were waiting. Even before he finished the race, she finished the race, to launch her on the second race. Mm-hmm. And that's brilliant. That's totally brilliant. Because many a time when we cross a finish line, we really do not know what to do. because. Life is not a destination, life is journey. Mm -hmm. And you were ready. Now the first one, first part is, as you set up the story in my mind, I'm like, he does that again. He connects one more time because what you taught me for you, it was not about Keith. And what Jennifer also realized, it was not about Jennifer. I'm a cancer survivor. Last year after surgery, my daughter walked into the hospital and went this close to me and said, do you know why you live? And she had some paper in her hand. I'm like, when somebody has a paper in her hand and asks you a question, this close, the answer is, of course, no, ma'am. She said, good answer. She said, you live, so you will be dancing at my wedding. And I'm in no rush to get married soon. Whatever, right away, I could relate what you talked about, Jennifer, was after that, life choices become very easy because I have that goal. And that's what I love, Keith, is every time you're just connecting it back to something which is relatable, which again is a huge lesson for everybody listening, is the thing you talked about is find something common, make it universal. You don't have to land the plane on Hudson to have a story. You can have a story of a shoelace and that triggers. So I want to now get to a success part of yours, which is Toastmaster success. And you are a legend in that area. And and legend, I say, not lightly, because you have influenced a lot of people's lives. And people think very highly of not only your functional skills, your leadership skills, and your heart. So what's your biggest learning in that journey as a leader in the Toastmaster world? There's two people that have really impacted me. And the Mm -hmm. first one is a professional speaker by the name of Ed Tate. And Ed Tate was a member of Cherry Creek Toastmasters and is the the winner of the International Speech Contest, which is hosted annually by Toastmasters. And to win that thing, you are one of 20,000 people that enter in it. And to win it is, is huge. And his last day with us, before he moved to uh, Las Vegas, where he now has his professional speaking business located, he stood before the entire membership. And we have about 40, 50 people that show up every single week. And he said these words, this stage here is not where you show up to deliver your best. This is the place you come to, to stretch yourself, to try new material, and to do your best to try and fall down Mm -hmm. because you can't fall down here. 
because there's the entire membership that is here to pick you back up, dust you off, and to set you up for success. Save the best. Save your best mm -hmm. for the audience that pays you to deliver your best. And I think that's the beautiful thing about Toastmasters. And then the, the second person is uh, Hillary Blair. She is a professional speaker, a member mm -hmm. of NSA Colorado. She has a professional speaking business. And one of the days, one of the times that she took the stage, she said something that connected for me back to Toastmasters. And, and she said there was a direct correlation between a professional athlete and a professional speaker. You can also apply this to a business professional. A professional athlete spends more time scrimmaging and reading the playbook than they ever do playing the actual game. Mm -hmm. They're in a constant state of scrimmaging and learning and being in that moment. Mm -hmm. So if you have a drive to get better at speaking and connecting through the spoken word, which is still one of the most powerful mediums out there, Toastmasters is that place where you can, you can scrimmage, the playbook is there. You, there, there are no winner, there, there are no losers. There's, there's winners. There's an opportunity for you to try new things and try to fall down. So really Ed Tate and Hillary Blair together for me is why I will forever be a Toastmaster because I get to go there and be free. Mm -hmm. I, you cannot fail. I love that. A place where you go to be free, cannot fail, cannot fall. And if you do, you don't fall down because people pick you up. Yep. Yeah. So to me, you are an avid cyclist, okay? And you have ridden <laughs> your bike, you know, at least in two continents, maybe more. Yeah. So what got you there? And how does that persona, which is in your DNA, help you as a storyteller? Quick story. <laughs> <laughs> One of my first memories, and I'd probably say this is, this is a, a compilation of experiences from zero to probably three or four years old, but one of my first memories that I have is from the handlebars of uh, a bicycle riding over the cobbled streets of a small village in the south of Holland called Uden. And the bike is my grandmother's bike being ridden by my mother as we went all over town because we had one car. My father was a, a salesman on the road. And I went from the handlebars to the back of the bike and eventually ended up next to the bike and I've never stopped biking. But what got me to the level where I am today is a, a gentleman by the name of Fabio Cardosa. And I think everybody should have a friend named Fabio because it just brings light into your life. And Fabio is, he is a, he's a jocular, really kind of like a, like a jockey of a man. He's a small person. So for biking, going uphill is easy for him. On the flat straightaways, it's not easy for him. I'm 6'3", 185 pounds. For me, the flats are, are my, my home. It's what I love. And he challenged me. He's like, Keith, if you want to get a, be a better biker, you have to go uphill. It's the only way that you become stronger. Riding on the flats, you, you're not going to get any stronger. So he started taking me into the mountains here in Colorado. And I remember a, a very penultimate ride that we did which was uh, outside of Boulder. And the name eludes me at, at, at the moment of, of the, the destination because it's iconic. It's, it's on the peak-to-peak -peak highway. Ward, up to Ward. And Ward is a little mountain town that sits, sits up high. It's a 16-mile ride mm -hmm. where the first 15 miles is 
is just this simple, you know, three, four percent gradient. The last mile is kicks up to 12 to 14 percent gradient. Wow. And I remember doing this for the first time and the whole way there, we're just chatting. And when you ride biking, when you bike, it's, it's uh, for me, why I like it is because your mind just kind of drifts off and switches and you get into this whole different flow state. And I remember Fabio being next to me and, and saying, Keith, this, this is coming up and this is what you need to do. Do, do exactly this. Keep your elbows loose, keep your fingers loose. Uh, and we're going to move to this side of the road. And, and he, he guided me through what is an incredibly difficult ride. And as we come around the corner, the whole thing pitches up. It's like a raise of, of cement that just goes up to the heavens. You cannot see the top. And Fabio's right there next to me and his eyes are huge and he's looking at me. He's like, you're doing it, you're doing it. And I'm saying to myself, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And in a brief moment, I look over, I notice that Fabio only has one hand on my handlebars. So I quickly go and search for where the other hand is. And as I follow his body line along, I find his other hand. It's underneath my saddle of my bike. Because Fabio wants me to be successful and he knows that all I need is a little push of confidence to be able to overcome something that I thought was daunting and unachievable. And, and as soon as he saw that I saw his hand on my saddle, he let go and continued to encourage me. And I've been back to that road many times before, or many times since, without Fabio. But he's always there with me in mind and in spirit. And there's a great quote from uh, the only American three-time winner of the Tour de France, a gentleman by the name of Greg LeMond. And Greg LeMond has this uh, phrase that it never gets easier. You just go faster. Hmm. And life is like that. Life, life doesn't get easier, but it sure as heck does go by faster. <laughs> That's fascinating. That's fascinating. So, Keith, this is really amazing. So, thank you. So, what you gave us is from the handlebar of your bike and sharing inspiration from your amazing mother. Three things at least I'm taking with me. Number one is find common but universal stories. That relates. Second, find a place where you can try new things, but the people around you will never let you fall. And third, find a friend called Fabio. Every person must have a friend called Fabio. But that person is there to always cheer. You're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. And that person doesn't hesitate giving you that little nudge that makes you feel good to cross that barrier. And after that, you were back on that road over and over again. So truly amazing, Keith. Thank you. And really appreciate this. Thank you again. Thanks, Arj. I appreciate the opportunity to spend time with you. You're always wonderful to spend time with and, and have conversations with and an opportunity to, to be on this podcast and to connect with your listeners as well. Thank you so much for, uh, for this opportunity. And uh, the thing I recommend for everybody is, is Share your story. What is Thank common you. is most universal and, and share what is most common because that's how we connect with each other. Thank you. And so Keith, if people want to find you to get the tell worthy stories, where do they find you? 
uh, you can find me on my website at uh, stage-coaching.com. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn at Keith M. J. Bailey. Keith M. J. Bailey and stage-coaching.com. Right. Yeah, stage-coaching.com. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, Brand Whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.